0: Let's get the show on the road, and I want to share with you um, three cases particularly that I've been following. Um, The first case I want to tell you about is this guy called Chris Watts, right? So Chris Watts is a guy that's in Colorado. He's about 35 years of age, and he's got two daughters, um, Cece and um, Celeste, and I forgot what the other girl's name was, but they're age four and three. And Chris Watts is married to Shanann Watts, who is in multi-level marketing. And um, you can Google, you know, go off to YouTube and Google and see the lots of videos. But Chris Watts is this doting family dad, right? You know, that also makes all the lunches for the kids. He, you know, drops them off to school, picks them up. He is like the model dad, right? And um, Shanann is always raving about how great her husband is, Chris Watts. But Chris Watts, well, he's not so good after all. You see, Chris Watts actually falls in love with a woman called Nicole Kessinger. And Nicole Kessinger works as a receptionist at the company that he works as. He's a mechanic, right? And what he does is he fixes up things, not on cars, but um, faults on um, gas pipes, because the company he works for um, is a company that has got oil and gas, and he fixes up leaks. But regardless, that's just detail. So he falls in love with Nicole Kessinger and over a six weeks period, he just falls madly in love and out of going from one extreme of being the doting dad, he becomes what is known as a family annihilator. That's right. In a matter of eight weeks, so he can be with his mistress who's madly in love because the sex is incredible and he's been working out and he's lost all this weight and um, he's put up all these big muscles and um, he's feeling fantastic because Nicole's looking at him and she's pursued him. And um, yes, they fall in love. And this guy, instead of, well, instead of not doing the wrong thing and falling in love with another woman while being married, he actually doesn't take the obvious choice, which is a separation. No, he decides that the cure to all of this, to have a new life, to be able to live in this exciting, passionate life of seduction with Nicole Kessinger is to actually kill his wife and kill his two daughters. And what he does, he kills them on August the 13th of 2018. And then he buries them. He, bury, he puts her, his wife, in a shallow grave near where he works, and he buries his two kids doesn't bury him. He throws them into oil tanks. So if you ever go past the airport and you see those big oil tanks, he throws the two daughters into that. I know it's um, just hard to actually process. A father would do that to his kids, to his wife, to anyone really. So what happens is there's an interrogation three days later because the cops suspect him And this is what's going to lead me to my rant. Watching these interrogators, watching the investigation in a room is just like watching poetry in motion. How these guys, these FBI negotiators, elicit a confession over two days, roughly about eight hours of interviews with him to eventually he breaks and he confesses. Right? So that's case number one. Case number two is about Russell Williams. Now, Russell Williams is another one that was that case in an hour and a half. The investigator got a confession that this guy had killed two women. Now, what was Russ? Russ was another guy who had everything going for him prim and proper. In fact, colonel in the Canadian Air Force, in fact, had flown presidents around, one of the most respected military people in Canada. His name is Russell Williams. But Russ, well, he's got a fetish. He likes to break into people's homes and wear ladies' underwear. Yes, Russ, while on the surface... He's the military man, flying presidents at night. He's got a side hustle, breaking in to people's homes, women particularly, and wearing female underwear and taking photos of himself. But it actually goes a little bit too far and he kills two women in the process as well. So that's the Russell Williams. And again, in one hour, how these guys got a confession is incredible. Why am I sharing these stories with you? You will see in a moment, the psychological techniques that are being used by these FBI interrogators are things that we in sales, whether we're in real estate, mortgage broking, any sales industry, are using unconsciously and these guys are actually doing it live and you can watch these on YouTube and you think to yourself, wow, he's doing that there. And today I'm gonna to be doing an essay or an autopsy on the techniques. And then case number three is Jennifer Pan. Um, she lives in, uh, in Canada and she's a 24-year-old girl uh, brought up uh, uh, by uh, Vietnamese parents who are, she's got a tiger mum and a very ambitious father who always wanted her, I think, to become a professional um, gymnast. And then um, when that sort of didn't work out, they wanted her to become, I think, a doctor. Um, You know, the typical scenario where you've got the Asian parent, the tiger mum who wants great things of their kids, educationally, extra tuition, you get the drill. But Jennifer Pan finds it all too stressful and has got a boyfriend. And um, he's not the greatest guy in the world. Bit of a drug dealer. Anyway, cut a long story short. What she does is decide that she's going to kill her mother and father. And um, she does organise a hit on him. And the mother dies. The father survives. And... Um, She over two sessions in interrogations eventually cracks. So, guys and girls, let's talk about the techniques. And what I'm going to do is going to start off here and go here and talk about the first technique, which is isolation. So, the first technique that you're sorry, it's actually not the first technique. The first technique is it. Sorry, oh I've made an error. The first technique is actually the pretext phone call. This is something that FBI investigators do all the time. So, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture this. So, Susan who's watching this on the other on the other side of the camera like most of you who are watching this are. Susan, picture this. Let's make Susan the person that's done the crime. She's walked into Kohl's. She's walked into Kohl's supermarket. And what she's done is she has shoplifted, right? So picture this, she has shoplifted. And what she's done is she stole $100 worth of goods from Kohl's. And what has happened now is I'm a copper and what I do to elicit a confession, this is actually called the pre-text call, where what you do and what these cops do, investigators, they ring up and they act in a very assumptive way. And this is how it works. They say, hey, Susan, it's um, from Asheville Police Station. I'm just letting you know, is that we do know that you've recently gone into Kohl's at Leichhardt Shopping Centre, and um, you were seen stealing some items. What Coles have asked is for you to call them on 9798 2744, I've made that number up, and that you should apologise to them, right? That's what they want. See, what happens is that Susan believes that they've got enough evidence to convict and that there's not going to be a lot of consequences to the crime and all they want is an apology. So what happens is Susan says, okay, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. I'll give him a ring now. Presto, confession. Confession, guys and girls. So this is a technique that is used. It's called the pretext call. Let me move on to the second technique, which is called isolation. And isolation, my friends, happens when you'll notice. And by the way, we do this in real estate as well. Think about it. Let me give you what cops do. They get you in for an investigation. And the rooms that they always use don't have windows. There's nothing to look out to. You've got nothing to gaze to. And what actually happens is you're trapped in this room. And what they do is they deliberately sit the person accused in the corner of the room. And what they do is that they sit in front of the person which stops that person from physically in their head think there's no way out. Like, I'm sort of in this room. I'm in the corner of this room. And I've got to tell you that the psychological effect of that is it says to the person, I can't escape from this. The truth has to come out now. I'm blocked. Now, how does this relate to us in business in an extreme way? Well, think about it. If you actually have, they get you to go into the police station where you're in their environment. Well, I can pretty much tell you if you were to have a vendor meeting or any business appointment and it's held at your office, you have the power in the relationship. It's called the home ground advantage. And I've got to also say to you, not only that, pictures trying to sign up a listing. Do you honestly think you're going to sign up a listing if you're sitting in one part of the lounge room and they're sitting in the other side of the kitchen? It ain't going to happen. You generally have to be at a table where you can actually converse and actually do business. So there is one similarity that I see that's used in influence in both those contexts. We then move into the next one. And this one should be, you know obvious to all the people that watch my rant, who are generally salespeople, and that is rapport building. And one of the things that we notice FBI interrogators do very early in an interrogation is that they try and build a relationship with the accused. And the way that they do that is that they become very friendly. It's not too hostile, or there's not too much tension. And what they'll often do is say, the reason we've called you in is we're doing a few interviews just to tie off some loose ends. So they really play it down. They minimize it, which is a technique I'm going to talk about shortly, maximization and minimization. So they minimize it. And what they actually do is essentially try and make it look like, hey, this is not a big deal. And hey, I like you. And they get on. And what you'll notice in all these interrogations very early on, they offer people food, coffee, drinks, whatever that person wants, because they want the accused to think this person's a good guy, right? Let's move on. To the next thing, and by the way, we clearly know that in sales, people—if they like you and they trust you—well, man, they're sort of things that you can't get listings without, right? The absence of like and trust means that you're not going to get the listing. I'm not saying that 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 if you've got likability and trust, you'll always get the listing. No, there's got to be more to it. You've got to solve the problem. You've got to have evidence that you can actually understand what their problem is. Um, And you've got to actually give them a solution to that problem. And it's got to be a solution that they think is a great return of investment. But what I'm saying is the absence of like and trust means you can't go to the next step. So let's move on to the next one, which is called the waiver of rights. And the waiver of rights is what this is the biggest thing an interrogator wants to do. They want to be able to get you to waive your rights of hiring an attorney or remaining silent. It is so important to them. And you can always see in any of these interrogations that they're devastated if the person says, I want a lawyer. And by the way, while we're at it, can I say, based on everything that I know and I've ever studied about the law, about the police, about crimes, I would suggest that even if you haven't done anything wrong, it's probably the safest thing to say, hey, listen, I really want an attorney. I want a lawyer. Um, And they're devastated at that because what actually happens is that they can't collect information, which they can then use in court to actually prove you guilty. They get devastated. So the ability to get you to waive your rights is a real strong skill set. They need you to sign a piece of paper. And what they'll often do is they've built rapport with you, right? Right. And they've got you to like them and then they'll minimise the waiver of rights. And they'll say, I'm letting you know that um, it sounds like you really want to have a conversation with me and we can just sort this out and then you can be off on your merry way and um, life can be good. But um, I do have to let you know there's this minor detail that um, you are entitled to an attorney and um, um, if uh, you want, you can remain silent, and what we talk about can be used against you in a court of law, and hopefully we never get to sort of that. Um, so are you happy for us just to have this conversation between us and yourselves regardless? Yeah, okay, great. I just need you to get you to okay this here, and you can see that. So what you'll see is that they minimize how much is actually meant by signing this piece of paper. So in business, think about it. We do that as well. When you think about it, like, I mean, I'm making extreme examples here, but think about it. What do we do in sales? You say to a vendor, hey, I want to let you know, this is the authority that's going to give me the okay to start bringing buyers through, right? I don't think salespeople sit there and say, hey, let me pull out my agency agreement. Now, this is a contract that basically says, if you sign it, You're stuck with me for the next three months. And no matter what happens, even if you're pissed off, you're still stuck with me. Correct. No, they don't say that, do they? They actually sort of say, hey, let's just get this paperwork up and running. And I just need you to okay it here. And this, of course, just allows me the ability to bring buyers through. And if I do, I'm going to get paid a fee at the end Okay, so what names are going in? Great, fantastic. Curtains, blinds, light fittings. That is the waiver of rights. Let me move on to the next one. The next technique that they use is open questions. By the way, I hope you're all well. And I want to remind everyone as I'm coming to you tonight. How exciting, the numbers in Melbourne are just getting lower and lower. Nothing breeds failure like success. You become complacent, suffocate the monster. Let's get the show on the road. And that way everyone can be happy, including those that have the conspiracy theory and those that hate Daniel Andrews and everyone in between because all we know is the minute that Melbourne can be like the rest of Australia. Woohoo! We can do whatever we want. We want to go to Big Room, we go to Big Room. We want to play pinball machines, we want to go play pinball machines. We want to go where girls' underwear like Russ did. Well, you shouldn't do that, whether it's COVID or not. So let's move on to the next thing. Open questions we've spoken about. Where did we get to? Yes. Oh, open questions. Yes, sorry, I didn't talk about that. So open questions is something Um, Interrogators do and salespeople do. They don't ask questions that lead to yes, no answers. They ask questions that have what in front of it. How? Why? Well, let me give you an example in sales. By the way, here's a great question for any real estate agent out there that you should ask at a listing presentation. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, if you selected the perfect agent to market your property and represent you, and things went brilliantly for you from start to finish, could I ask you, what would that look like in your eyes? Bang! Bang! give you all this information that then you can actually use as part of your delivery on how you're going to solve their problem. Because all of a sudden, you know what their problems are and what they like and what they don't like. Because people don't care about you. They care about themselves. So what's your job? Find out what matters to them. Then give it to them. And what happens in an interrogation, guys and girls, is really interesting because what they do in an interrogation is that they'll ask open-ended questions, often trivial, because what they're doing is even though they're not getting a confession off the person with those open-ended questions, they're trying to create definite statements that the person is saying Because when they get interviewed by another person later on, they're going to be able to see if there's contradictions to the story. And by asking open-ended questions, the person's got to say more than yes, no. So questions are great, whether you're a cop or a salesperson so we move on to the next one and it is the accusation and then all of a sudden what happens at this point of the interrogation they take and they put the pressure on and they sort of what do they do they start squeezing and they'll actually say you killed your mother. You tried to kill your father. So, all of a sudden, the tempo goes up. And what they'll say is this get ready for it. We know that that's happened. What we want to work out is why you did it. So, what they do is they say, We've already gone past that. And often, you know what they'll do? They'll have a folder. And in that folder, it'll have the person's name at the front. And in the folder, it will be full. And they'll open it up and there'll be all this correspondence including CD-ROMs and discs. And what will happen is the accused is gonna look at it and they're gonna say, wow, that's all the evidence. They've got all this information, right? That's what they'll do. And what happens is, This is another point we're going to talk about in a moment. It's called false evidence. But the accusation is where they turn around and say, hey, we've gone past it. We know you've done this. Now, what we want to do is work out why you did it. So what they're doing is they're not giving the person an alternate option of, you know, whether you did this crime or not. We've gone past that. Like we've got this file here, right? What they're doing, and you know what they'll often do? Very intelligent. They'll say things like, have you heard of the latest DNA techniques? Like, do you know that they're accurate to 0.001%? Like, they're so good these days, right? And then they'll say things like, like um, I'm sure you wouldn't have a problem with giving us some DNA. And they look at people's responses, So the accusation, the accusation is where the pressures come up. And then what they do is it's called the no denials. They won't allow someone to deny it. They'll actually cut them off. And the reason why they do this is that they want to let people know that that's not actually an option for you right now, right? That's not an option. And also, here's another strong reason why they don't do it, because the more a person says that they didn't do it, didn't do it, it makes them harder to later on say they did because the contradiction's too much. Now, I've got to tell you, this happens all the times in sales, right? And that's why I say to an agent, when a vendor says to you, hey, listen, I wanna let you know, we're not going to sell under, you say, listen, I don't wanna know that. What I need to know is I'm gonna go out there into the marketplace and to try and get you as much as we can. That's our focus right now, right? And the reason I say it is often when someone says, we're not going to sell under this figure, what happens is they become psychologically connected to that figure and they find it difficult afterwards to actually go off and do the opposite to what they've said. Example, we're not going to sell under 950. No way, right? What you've got to do is ensure that you don't get caught up having a vendor hooking themselves on a number that they can't retract afterwards this is called the no denials. And what the interrogators do is that they will stop someone from denying it. They know it's important to stop them because it becomes difficult then to get them to actually do a 180. We then move on to the next technique and it's called the false evidence. And I'm going to tell you, this is something that I don't like. I don't even like it happening to criminals and it should definitely not happen in sales where you create false evidence, where you actually use deception and lies to manipulate people. And the false evidence, the false evidence in an extreme case is when interrogators say to people, hey, listen, we've got the video camera. The video camera is actually got you picking up those stolen goods. The video camera is there. And I've got to say, guys and girls, in sales, what you don't want to do is to actually give false evidence. And what does that look like in real estate? Where you go off and you give people dummy offers, right? That's an example of false evidence. Or as a salesperson that goes to a listing presentation and says, I've got these five buyers that will buy your house. Like you don't know, at best that they could be interested in it, right? But you've got no certainty that they're gonna buy it. That is what we mean by false evidence. But this is something interrogators do. By creating the false evidence, they are allowing people to realize, shit, I'm now busted. There's no way out. We then move on to the second last one and that is the themes. And this is one that will be known to people, and it's called good, cap, good cop, bad cop. This is where they have two interrogators. And what happens is you've got one that is building rapport, one, and the theme here, and this to me is one of the most important parts of today's conversations. Whoops. And that is that what you'll notice with the themes is that they'll create... Here's an example. Let's use the Susan stolen goods from Coles. Susan, um, we actually think that you stole that food because you were hungry. And during COVID-19, you haven't had a job and it's been a really hard time, and we sort of understand why you would do something like that. We, 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 we get it, right? Um, you know. But at the same time, we also know that there's been someone who's been stealing from hundreds of shops for two years, right? And what we need to do is to ensure that that's not you. And what this person's been doing is also been breaking into people's houses, not far from Coles for around two years, stealing things from people's houses. So do you see what they do? They create a bad thing, a lot worse than what's actually happened to sort of say to people, is this you? And then you've got a likelier probability if you've done the crime to say, no, sorry, I did this. I actually took that food because you're right. I needed to eat and I didn't have money. And it was a one-off see what happens? They get the confession. So that's called using good themes, bad themes. And it's also along the lines of good cop, bad cop, where they have, and that, hap- and that and that happens in sales all the time. You'll always see it. And look, sometimes in real estate, I am the bad guy at an auction, you know, because the salesperson's built too much of a relationship with a vendor. And I'll come in and I'll say, Hey, listen, you know, I know that we're $50,000 short at the moment, but I've got to say to you, like $950,000 in today's market, based on what I've got here, logic, RP data, appears to be pretty decent money for you. And my concern is that if JobKeeper goes and the holidays of mortgages goes and we've got unemployment at 15%, that all of a sudden 950 looks gonna look like top dollar. And when you're gonna get 850 in March, I'm gonna think to myself, right? So that is an example of good cop, bad cop, right? And by the way, everything I'm speaking to you about right here right now is all to be done with integrity when you're helping someone make a decision that's good for them. This is not techniques. I'm not saying you should use these techniques that cop to use to actually manipulate people where they lose and you win. This is basically to help people make decisions because fundamentally you think it's actually not a bad thing for the people that I'm representing. And then we move on to the last one. And the last one is the confession. And what you'll notice in any interview with FBI interrogators is once we have a confession, what actually happens... Oh, sorry. My camera's gone fuzzy. What happens with the confession is eventually the person cracks And often they crack because they're getting tired and it's getting really, really difficult and people are getting fatigued. And when all these techniques have been done, eventually a person can confess. And at this point, the person, the interrogator moves closer and touches the person on the shoulder and basically becomes like a friend to them right and then what they do is they try and get the confession on tape which is generally being recorded in the room or on paper and the confession is of course the conclusion that they have achieved their deal Guys and girls, this was a bit of a twist to the normal Sunday night rant, but I thought I'd share with you some of the things that I've been spending my time watching and doing and being curious about. I'm curious about human behavior. I'm curious about psychology. And um, I want to thank you again for watching this Sunday night rant.